0: This is the place for all your news and views of life extension from around the world. The Longevity Now podcast. This episode is about cryonics, that one futuristic technology that is still shunned by nearly the entire world, including scientists, intellectuals, those who can imagine an incredible amount of progress and transformation in the human condition in future years. They routinely reject cryonics as nonsense, a fraud, even impossible. This has left the tiny community of cryonics supporters to fend for themselves and build the industry. Outside of the three main functioning cryonics organizations in the world, smaller groups have sprung up to contribute. One of the more recent startups is the Minnesota Cryonics Rapid Response Group. Listen to the founder, Chuck Bartle, explain how the group was founded and maintains its growth. And now I would like to welcome to the Longevity Now podcast one of the founders of the Minnesota Cryonics Rapid Response Group and the president of the group, Chuck Bartle. Welcome to the program.
1: Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, it's glad to have you here. And I actually attended one of the first meetings of uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin cryonics uh, proponents uh, in Minneapolis a while back. And it was kind of the beginning of this cryonics group. And it's something that a lot of cryonics people wonder about, How did you eventually take that first step to contact other cryonics members in order to develop a new nonprofit and a new group in the upper Midwest of the U.S.?
1: Well, uh, first of all, you were at the very first meeting, and we thank you for that. And, well, over the years, actually over the decades, I thought about starting a a local group in in Minneapolis or Minnesota or the five-state area just to help out the other chronic organizations, CI and Elcor, bridge the gap between any delays in getting to us. And the years went on it got more and more important. And I thought, well, I'll just take care of myself and move down near Elcor or Michigan for CI eventually, so I started visiting Alcor, and then my sister out of the blue decided she wanted to be a cryonics person, which totally surprised me because we never discussed it. I never tried to convince her to become involved. Anyway, so there there was that need, she'd never uh, leave the Twin City area. So what I did was I talked to uh, a couple of people, one at Alcor, one at CI, and I asked them if they would spread the word by way of email. About our our intentions to start a group and they sent out to all their members and then we fielded the response and started the in-person meetings
0: so a lot of cryonics people are maybe a little bit shy you know individualistic so yeah, you know, it's hard to reach out to people but you would say ci and elcor were instrumental and very helpful in getting you in touch with other cryonics supporters
1: they were fantastic diane i'll mention her name specifically at. Elcor and Hillary uh, at CI, they both sent three or four email messages for me over time. After the initial one, we we hammered it a little more. And they were just immediately responded and immediately uh, sent out the notices that I, I typed up and sent to
0: them. And you mentioned that moving to Elcor or moving close to CI as you get a little bit older, more concerned perhaps about the necessity of a a good chronic suspension. You mentioned that that spurred you to think about helping the cryonics organizations in getting services in different parts of the country, like in Minnesota and Wisconsin. And that seems to be now one of your main focuses in forming, you ended up forming a nonprofit called the Minnesota chronics Rapid Response. And that is your main focus now? Is that would that be appropriate to say?
1: Yeah, we're we're starting small out of necessity, but we want to uh, get some kind of a basic capability and then build upon it ourselves. Become more sophisticated with the procedure, uh, almost to the point of being a com- becoming another uh, suspended animation or ICE, which are both independent groups that uh, provide standby stabilization and transport for chronic situations. But uh, as a first step, for example, you're going to need a funeral director in any location. So rather than CI, for example, having to scramble, you know, call a national uh, human remains transporters and ask them, uh, can you get us like, a funeral director in the area? And then they have to start making phone calls and try to dig somebody up that can, that can cooperate with the mechanics of a CI or Alcor. We're lining up the uh, funeral director on our own and working with them and trying to educate them and get them so that we can plug them in immediately. That's just one, one thing we're trying to do. We're also working, we're going to start to work with paramedics to actually get a sense of urgency that a funeral director might not have to get to a, to a cryonics emergency scene and do some kind of a minimal or basic procedure like wet ice and, and help them as a blood thinner to, uh, to prepare people for transport, much less sophisticated than, that guess a and I try to do but uh, but it's just not realistic there it's a very you know have a very they have a sense of uh, false security about how fast somebody's going to come out and take care of them so we're again we're trying to bridge that gap in a
0: number of ways and would you say uh, talking to emergency people in your area or funeral directors in your area was it difficult were most of them uh, fairly open to the idea, and they just wanted to know some of the specifics or encounter quite a bit of resistance?
1: Uh, the funeral directors and the paramedics are kind of separate stories. The funeral director, directors, I approached seven before I got one that would work with us, and then I approached an eighth, and he seemed willing. But uh, they, uh, the basic, thing I went in, and I, well, I'll tell you a number of different ways I did it. I, I did some cold calls, and they all sounded like they were agreeable. Then they eventually, within a, a phone call or an email, they refused to respond or, or, or answer the phone or, or return calls or return emails. And the one I approached at a friend's uh, parent's funeral, I was just doing anything I could, and he seemed you know, fairly agreeable to it, but then he wouldn't return any kind of communication. So I just called one one day in the neighborhood, and I said, uh, can I come down and talk about a prearrangement? not mentioning cryonics, and I showed up and uh, I talked to him and he said business is business, he'd consider it. And it, that particular one worked out really well. We have, I, I think, a pretty strong relationship right now.
0: Well, that's good to hear because I'm sure Elcor and CI both have funeral directors in the area they have worked with. For other people that would maybe start a, a rapid response type of organization in different part of the country, do you think it would help if you contacted a funeral director and they maybe were a little bit, you know, questionable about whether or not they were going to help out. Would it help for them to refer them to other funeral directors that have worked with lcor and CI in the past?
1: Yeah, I considered that, but as a matter of fact, in Arizona, right around Elcor, they didn't even have one at the time I asked about it. They have one that they use to dispose of remains after they do this at Nero. But, uh the funeral home I got referred to in Arizona, I actually noticed the CI, the, the, the person that was working with them, no longer worked there, and the woman that I talked to at the parlor didn't seem to be particularly agreeable to cryonics, and so it, I'm not sure they have, even have a strong relationship. In Alcor, in and Scottsdale, they really don't need it with Alcor because you know, they do their own work, and they just have the funeral director, you know, or I don't know if they even use them for removal or what kind of arrangement they have, but CI is going to need one. And they used to have one in the Minneapolis area, I think. Uh, Andy from CI told me, but they do not anymore. So they would definitely be on the scramble if they needed one. So, so now we've got one for them. I think it's a, it, you know it's a critical piece in in the equation. Yeah,
0: it is a critical piece. I know because of legal considerations that are still present in the U.S. and most of the world. And I wonder, you know, Chronics still obviously has some sort of negative reputation whether that that's not you know earned or unearned but that is just the feeling that some of them get and you would say that's the reason why most of them don't want to work with chronics or they don't want to even respond because they think it's maybe something kind of odd or it's too far out of anything they want to deal with
1: yeah what I found out is they're incredibly busy and they just you know, if they don't have to deal with something new or something that they might be criticized for, they're probably not going to do it. And you're going to, you know, there's a crackpot factor. They're going to, you know, somebody's walking in once to do this cryonics thing. But like I've, I've found that just getting to know these people I actually drop in physically unannounced once in a while because they don't return emails and phone calls. And they're just perfectly happy with it. They're just, they joke around with you. they're your, It's almost like they're our friends now. They've offered us their conference room, which we've used two or three times for meetings just out of the blue, and, they, and now they're digging up a Ziegler container for us and canning us. Uh,
0: so once uh, once you broke through, the relationship went along pretty good.
1: Yeah, I would say they almost seem kind of excited about it, to be perfectly honest. So.
0: And at one point, you were investigating maybe purchasing your own emergency vehicle or ambulance. Is that still the case?
1: We would still like to do that. Uh, one of our members is pushing for that particularly hard. At first, it seemed unrealistic to me and with money wise and everything else, but uh, she convinced me that that's a pretty good idea and, and coincidentally, yesterday, I got an email from her she's following the University of Minnesota's actually put together some kind of a is a ECMO uh vehicle, which is I can't tell you what the acronym means right now, but it's uh, like a heart lung circulation type situation. Where they're using it to save save heart attack people, and I, I don't know if it's already saved 500 people or potential to save this many or whatever per whatever period. But we'd like to to work with them, and again, you're gonna have to get all through, through those anti uh mentalities to get to them. But we we might want to do something on a smaller um, a smaller um, you know level. And okay. she looked into you know the cost for thumpers and circulatory ECMO type situ you know equipment.
0: Yeah, and then also you have discussed in the past, I've seen, uh, getting your own type of call-in or check-in or monitoring type device, looking at developing something on your own or if you're just closely following yeah. what Elcor is trying to do. Yeah. What's the situation on that?
1: That's a tough one and a real convoluted and involved uh, subject right there. Everybody says that technology already exists for like an Apple-type device that would detect drop-in blood pressure or uh, cessation of heartbeat or whatever, and that would trigger a phone call actually straight to Alcor or to 911 or to your relatives or whoever else. Again, universally, people say that's a possibility, but there are some liability issues and development uh, cost issues. A lot of different little groups are working on it, and it's very frustrating. I've heard of people uh, investing as much as $25,000 into these. Into it individually, I heard uh, you know at a 2014 Alcor meeting, uh, Martin Rosplatt, uh, founder of Sirius, that it could be done in you know within six months or a year or whatever for a uh, number of dollars, and this is all this time ago. I really think that the Cryonics in general, this is one place they've really fallen down, and uh, I think it's such a critical thing because I could tell you a bunch of stories about how the lack of that has cost
0: people a decent suspension. That's right. I've heard of those cases as well. Now, in your investigations for other chronicists out there, do you think that there's some group or some person that's close to getting uh, this type of device developed?
1: I would say I just don't know. I, I don't want to quote uh, the different chronics organizations on their, on their take on it, but... Uh, I would say they're not close, although sometimes I hear rumors that one or the other are once close. But uh, I just—I don't think there's enough drive for it for some reason, and I, I just can't figure it out, to be honest.
0: Well, of course, like you mentioned with the, the development of such a device, and Martine Rothblatt had mentioned that at a conference in 2014, that it wouldn't take all that much money to get something developed like that, but... Whether you're looking for an uh, emergency vehicle or you're looking to develop some sort of device like that, it all does take some money. And how did you end up supporting or how are your future funding goals uh, for the Minnesota Cryonics Rapid Response Group?
1: Well, um, we started a GoFundMe uh, called Freeze Hank. He's our 88-year-old member that's agreed to be the poster boy for us.
0: Let me repeat that for the audience sure. here. That's called Freeze Hank. It's on GoFundMe, and he's a member of the Minnesota group, and he's kind of the poster boy for your fundraising. I got that's correct?
1: Right, right. And it's not just for him, it's for our whole group. But uh, we've gotten a certain amount, you know, a, a little bit of money from that. All our members, all our own members, have uh, contributed to that, our core members. I've Trying to use social media, which I'm not too good at. I I would hope maybe somebody could help us uh, spread it by way of social media. Uh, We have gotten a few hits by that, and also a few of our members have actually contributed a significant amount of money ourselves. And and we're talking about applying for grants and all kinds of things. But uh, any kind of money we can we can get will be helpful because we are using the money to incentivize paramedics, funeral directors. I've uh, when I go in to talk to them. Sometimes they still put some money and I, well, we want to show them that this is potential for for money for them and that we appreciate their their time and their efforts spent with us. And people just aren't going to do this for nothing. The yeah. paramedics, you know, need us. They're going to need money. The serial directors, like I say, we've already, we've had pizza, you know, lunches for the paramedics and given them some money. We want them to think that this is something they want to be involved in for a number of reasons, but again,
0: financial for sure. Right. And I think Chronic's supporters have found that through the years that if you're not going to fund it yourself, it's going to be very difficult to get grants or other investments. Um, hopefully that will change in the future. And speaking Uh of the future, uh, anything planned with your Chronic's group here coming up in the next, say, few months, anything new that you're going to be doing or any, um, you know, looking at different vehicles, emergency vehicles, you already mentioned a couple of things, but is there anything else that we might not have touched on?
1: Well, we're we're going to have our, our first training uh, with our presenter, our trainer, uh, Aaron Drake, from uh, International Cryomedicine Experts. He's, he's probably got 15, 20 years of experience internationally you know, on standby stabilization and transport, uh, dealing with hospitals and hospital administrators and families and every possible uh, factor involved in a suspension. So he's going to help us out uh, with a two-hour training meeting for paramedics and general directors on April 28th. It'll be the first time pulling our our whole group together like that. Members will be there, of course. So we're hoping that that kind of shows everybody, establishes some kind of credibility among all these people and that we start working together more and more and putting the pieces of the puzzle together and refining it and building on it. And, uh, that's again, that's the reason why we need some money, too, is and there are a lot of people with a lot of financial means and cryonics, and we hope to, by establishing credibility and showing that we're doing a lot of work on our own initiative, that we can maybe get some some help and serve as a model for other satellites around the country like this. I know Alcor is starting a program set of uh, training sessions around the country, but The fact that Minnesota doesn't fall into a high populated area for cryonocysts is is kind of keeping us out of that. But We're trying to get into that orbit by showing that we're ahead of the game on doing things for ourselves.
0: And for people who are listening, there's probably quite a few cryonocysts from around the country, around the world, uh, listening, or some people that might want to join your group that live in the upper Midwest, maybe the Dakotas, Minnesota, Wisconsin. How can they get a hold of you in case they need some advice for starting a group or if they want to join the Minnesota group?
1: All right. Well, we have a, we have a couple of ways they can do that. We have a meetup group uh, the specifically called Meetup, which we pay 90 bucks uh, every six months for to, to attract meetup people from all kinds of other groups of different interests. And we've we've are up to like forty people total with our core membership and our meetup people. So that does work. It's actually listed as Minneapolis Trionics Meetup. Okay. They can come in that way. Probably a better way because I'll, I'll get contacted directly is through our Minnesota Cracks Rapid Response uh website. Our GoFundMe is attached to that also so they can access our GoFundMe uh through that in us uh, I'll be more than happy to get on the phone with somebody and tell them what we're up to and what we're doing and and uh, what we can do for them and maybe what they can do for us someday. Again, it's it's the credibility and the support, the show of support that we're getting. It's pretty good, but it, we're always looking for more because we're going to get more and more ambitious if we can.
0: Well, Chuck, we wish you the best of success with the further developments in the Minnesota Chronics Rapid Response Group, and thank you so much for joining us on the Longevity Now podcast. Thanks, Justin. Really appreciate the time. When it comes to the most important things in your life or the things you would like to see done, there is no effort that compares to individual action. You can make all of the social media posts in the world and not make a dent. What really counts is rolling up your sleeves and doing the work. Take some inspiration from the Minnesota Chronics Rapid Response Group. You are more capable than you can imagine. Until next time, I'm Justin Lowe.